out to the world at large. Good morning, everyone. And good morning to those around the world who we love very, very much. Uh, we cherish you. We cherish you joining us. We pray for you constantly. We love you very much. Thank you for saying hello to us. We do honor your prayer requests that you give to us. Uh, thank you for joining our small, humble efforts in teaching the Word of God and attempting to reach the world for the gospel of Jesus. And we know we are keenly aware that some of you folks are in distress and in danger. Uh, please know that we love you and that we are praying for you. And may our Lord not give us a moment's peace or rest until we are helping our brothers and sisters around the world and in any way whatsoever that we can. Would you pray with me, please, Lord God, our Heavenly Father, ruler of heaven and earth. Please hear our impassioned but imperfect and flawed prayers. Forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of our failures in which we fail you on nearly a daily basis. Please, God, hear our pleas that by the power of your spirit and the truth of your word that you will clean us up, that you will help us to pursue holiness and help us to pursue you truly and that we will not tolerate evil on our watch. Help us by the truth of your word and by the power of your spirit to be courageous, to be bold, to do what needs to be done truly at any given time, and to have the wisdom to know. Please grant us the wisdom to know. To know what to do in these dark times here and the world over. We pray for our brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ who are in distress and are who in danger. Please save them. Please protect them. Please guard them. Please keep them safe, O Sovereign God. Take them to safety, we pray. And we know that by their movements, wherever they may be, or they, wherever they may be compelled to go to seek safety, that they will take your bright and shining light of your spirit and the truth of your word with them, and thereby spread your kingdom in this world. I pray for everyone that is gathered here in person. Open the minds and hearts of everyone here to receive the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and translate these words into action in and over their lives. I thank you for this opportunity for this humble little church to meet, as of now, in freedom, to worship you as we see fit and as we believe the New Testament commands us to do. And we honor your command, Lord, to come to your table to honor the sacrifice of he who is the Word made flesh and to celebrate the completed work of the Son by the work of the Spirit applied to our souls, just as Jesus speaks of in this passage to this man Nicodemus who represents us all in one way or other. Help us to come to your table with humility, with thankfulness, with gratitude, and with great joy. And may everyone here go to their homes after this worship service filled with your spirit and inspired by the truth of your word. And I pray, O sovereign, almighty God, let the exposition of the gospel of John go out throughout this world because of our humble little efforts, that many will hear the gospel of John, many will hear the words of Jesus, many will hear the most important message that any human being will ever hear, could possibly hear. And may your spirit do his work. Oh, Holy Spirit God, do your work through your word. Open the minds and hearts of people from around the world who will hear this message. Bring them to eternal life. Bring them to new life. Born a new life. And spread your kingdom 
Lord, in any way you see fit and proper by our humble efforts here today. And so may the meditations of all of our hearts and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord our God, our rock and our redeemer, you who are our only hope and you who are more than hope enough. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me please to honor the reading of the word of the Lord. John chapter 3, verses 7 and 8 today. Um, I think I'm going to do what I did last week. I'm going to start at the top of the chapter, at the top of the conversation that I trust you're already very well familiar with, and we'll read through the, the entire conversation. Then, of course, verses 7 and 8, and that's what we'll study and unpack its truth, as we say, today. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him, that is Jesus, by night, and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. These are the words of the Lord, and thanks be to God for them. Thank you, folks. You may be seated. So from the original Greek, Jesus' statement in verse 7, another reply pressing home his point to Nicodemus. Uh, some of you folks may have a slightly different uh, translation. I know we have a num number of translations here in the room. I usually use as a, a pulpit Bible on Sunday morning the New American Standard Bible. The New American Standard Bible translates as do not marvel. Uh, you can arguably translate from the original Greek uh, these words into English, and, and they're all correct. Do not be amazed. Do not marvel. You should not be surprised. Don't be bewildered by this. Do not begin to wonder that I said to you, you must be born anew, or you must be born again. Now notice here, of course, <laughs> Jesus is pressing home his point. He is advancing with his point. He is not retreating from this negative reaction of Nicodemus. Not one bit, not at all. He is pressing his advance even further in confronting this man, Nicodemus. And by way of confronting Nicodemus, he confronts all of us with the most critical and profound truths for Nicodemus, for humanity, for all of us. Jesus with authority, almost certainly transcendent authority as he is the word made flesh. And I believe with some force in this conversation, he's pressing home the truth that he's revealing to Nicodemus and to us. So Jesus is advancing further into his response to this negative reaction that he's received from this man, from Nicodemus. 
this uh, negative reaction of Nicodemus to this spiritual new birth given by God. It's a requirement, something Nicodemus doesn't like. A requirement, a condition. It's a life-giving transformation brought about by God that must absolutely take place in order for anyone to see, to experience, or to enter the kingdom of God. And all that that expression, all that title, all that phrase means. If this is a debate Nicodemus wanted, he's not going to get his debate now, is he? Jesus has more or less shut this debate down with authority and with this very startling announcement, this statement that he's made. Jesus turns the tables on this expert debater at, in this conversation. Jesus is reinforcing a rebuke. It is something of a rebuke. He's rebuking Nicodemus. He's giving a statement of fact, of truth. But it's what we call a truth rebuke. And he seems to have silenced Nicodemus completely at this point in the conversation. Do not marvel. Do not be amazed. Do not surprise or wonder that I have said to you, you must be born anew or born again from above. So Jesus is rebuking this leader amongst the religious elite, if we may refer to them as that, for not knowing or not wanting to know or wanting to acknowledge what he is speaking of. And as we stated last week, and it will be stated again, Nicodemus, of all people, should know. If he was the expert in the sacred scriptures that the nation of Israel believes him to be and has given him that title, he of all men should have known. Remember last week? We studied the Old Testament, in particular probably the primary or the principal passage that Jesus is alluding to and drawing from. Ezekiel 36 verses 25 to 27, in which the inspired prophet uses very similar language to what Jesus is using here in this conversation. I think Jesus is obviously alluding to it. He's referring to it. That is, for anyone who knows their Old Testament well, as Nicodemus is supposed to know, as all of us as students of the Old Testament should be able to recognize, what Jesus is speaking of was promised long ago, centuries ago, before this conversation took place. It was all prophesied. It was all promised by God. There will come a time in the Messianic age, according to God's divine plan, where God will arrive himself in person, and he will place a new heart, a new life, a new birth in the heart, in the core, in the souls of human beings his redeemed people, at that new and exciting and last great era of history, the Messianic Age. And Jesus will a little later rebuke Nicodemus again for not being familiar with or recognizing this spiritual reality that he's proclaiming, that he's teaching. Now when Jesus says here, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. This is something of a rebuke. I should tell you in the original language that you here turns from the singular to the plural. That's interesting. The word you becomes plural. doesn't remain in the singular, which means what? Jesus means others. As well as Nicodemus, Jesus is speaking not only to Nicodemus, he's speaking to others by way or through Nicodemus. This truth given to Nicodemus is for other people. I would say, first of all, those who Nicodemus represents. And, of course, all of humanity. Jesus knows full well Nicodemus is representing at least a faction of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish High Council or Jewish High Court. Nicodemus has to be representing at least a faction of the so-called religious elite. Remember what Nicodemus says in verse 2? It gives it away. This man came to him by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs unless God is truly upon him or with him. So... 
Jesus is speaking through Nicodemus to all of those whom Nicodemus represents. Nicodemus is the point man, the front man, the spokesperson for the religious elite probably at this point. He is the one that they think is their secret weapon. He's the one who's going to be able to go to this upstart, troublesome, rural rabbi from Galilee and put him in his place. And see how easily, almost instantaneously, the tables have been completely turned on this representative of the religious elite. And also Jesus, by way of Nicodemus, of course, he's speaking to all the old covenant people of God as the old covenant transitions to the new covenant. He's speaking to all the Jewish people of all the Jewish nation in the first century A.D. And, of course, Jesus is speaking to all of humanity. He's speaking to us. He's speaking to you right now by His Spirit, by His Word, as sacred Scripture is being proclaimed and is being taught. The truth He teaches is for everybody. That's the point. And no exceptions, none whatsoever. Nicodemus wanted a debate. Oh, I'm afraid this man has received oh so much more than he ever bargained for or reckoned upon. Nicodemus, according to Edward Clink, I like this comment he makes in his commentary, Nicodemus is finally forced to face his true challenger. God Almighty Himself in the flesh. No, this will be no debate. This is going to be one of the most important lessons ever taught and ever learned. You see, Nicodemus was a real man, a very real flesh and blood man, who lived in the first century A.D. This is probably 27 to 29 A.D. Real space, real time, real history, and yet he's a representative at the same time. He represents a certain faction of humanity. He represents a certain kind of person. And these other people coming up in the gospel that Jesus is going to have very important private conversations with, they will also be representatives of a certain type of fallen sinful human being. As a matter of fact, I dare say, each and every one of us could find something of ourselves in each of these people that he's going to be speaking to. Nicodemus represents, frankly, man-made religion. Those that are all caught up in man-made religion. Works, what we call works, righteousness, man-centered religion of any kind whatsoever. And as a Jew, this is very tragic. It's really very sad. Nicodemus and others of his class or of his order or of the religious elite as we call them, they have tragically strayed from God's word. They've tragically strayed from sacred scripture. They've replaced God's word with their own fatal flaw, spiritually, of course. Otherwise, Nicodemus would have recognized what Jesus is speaking about, what he's speaking of. And so to a person like Nicodemus, what Jesus is declaring is very disturbing. It's very strange. It's totally contrary to all of Nicodemus's religious presuppositions of thinking that one can work or earn one's way into the kingdom of God. Jesus says true salvation, true salvation as prophesied in the ancient scriptures as God promises to truly give to humanity, being right before God, being right with God, being declared right by God, entering therefore the kingdom of God in the eternal age promised and prophesied. What is it? It's a gift. It's a gracious gift. It's a gift of the extension of the merciful, gracious God. It's a gift. It's a gift from God. It's a gift of God. It's a work of God. A work from God. 
by the will and way of God, by the divine plan of God. It does not come about in any way, shape, or form by the efforts of lost humanity. And so this radical new birth, Jesus is speaking about it here in this part of the conversation in its initial stage, when it initially happens, the event itself of the new birth, how that works out, what takes place, how it happens. And so the new birth in its initial stage, in its initial event, as an event, people are largely passive. That rattles people. By that I mean they cannot accomplish it themselves. Remember what we mentioned last week, and I believe this is one of the reasons why Jesus refers to it as a new birth. How much contribution did you make to your mother's efforts and the doctor's efforts the day that you were born? That's right, none. Mom did all of the work. God bless our mothers. Poor mother did all of the work in our natural birth, the physical birth, the first birth. We didn't. We didn't make any contribution to it whatsoever, and neither do we to the second birth, the spiritual birth. From above, all of the work in the spiritual death is done by the parent as well, the divine parent, God Almighty himself. And Nicodemus, well, Nicodemus, all of us, we simply cannot avoid or escape what Jesus clearly says here. You must be born again from above by water and the Spirit and all that that marvelous truth statement means as we have been studying it, digging down deep into it, or as I like to say, unpacking the truth of it these past several weeks, and will continue to. You see, Jesus is not offering a gentle suggestion here. He's not giving this man or the rest of us a gentle nudge. This is not a suggestion. This is a not, not a recommendation. It is an absolute requirement. It is an absolutely necessary condition if one is to experience the eternal kingdom of the living God and experience absolute and ultimate reality in Him in an eternal age, in a perfect world if you want one, in a perfect life if you want one, forever, as we say. An existence not quite like in time or space as we experience it now. So a person like Nicodemus, very frustrated by this point, as I'm sure he is, may ask, well, if I can't accomplish this, how do I receive this new birth? Again, please allow me to hammer home the point. It is a gift. It is a gift of and from God according to a divine plan devised in the mind and heart of the eternal God, Father, Son, and Spirit in eternity past before he ever spoke the worlds into being. A gift of God, a work of God by a plan of God, Father, Son, and Spirit. It is part of the sovereign plan of God. Yet there is, of course, human responsibility, accountability, and response. Yes, there is. And yet, we must understand human salvation is 100% and beyond a gracious gift of God. It is His merciful accomplishment, not our own. This is a month in which we celebrate the Protestant Reformation. That fire sparked, ignited by Martin Luther around the 31st of October. We usually here celebrate Reformation Sunday. Let me give you one of the battle cries of the Reformation in the Old Latin. Soli Deo Gloria. To God Almighty alone be the glory in human salvation. Let me give you something from Dr. William Henriksen and his commentary. I thought I should do this because uh, uh, 
I can't tell you how steeped I am in some of these commentaries, as you can imagine, from one week to the next, from a day to the next. And when something that somebody writes keeps coming back to you word for word, and you are constantly reminded of the point that they make, that means you should be obedient and give that point. He says something about modern-day preaching or modern-day exposition of this passage. It's very interesting. And his commentary was written some years ago. He writes, very often in present-day preaching, I find this interesting, very often in present-day preaching, the word must, you must be born again. The word must in Jesus' statement is often misinterpreted. It should be clearly understood that in harmony with the entire context of what Jesus says throughout this conversation, it does not so much refer to the realm of moral duty, but to that of divine decree. When Jesus says, you must be born again, he does not mean, oh, by all means, Nicodemus, go out and see to it that you are born again. Nicodemus would have loved to have heard that. No. On the contrary, Jesus means, Nicodemus, something by the gracious will and power of God the Almighty has to happen to you. In you. It is his work. The Holy Spirit of God must plant in your heart and your soul this new life from above as prophesied long ago. And Nicodemus should have had a sufficiently penetrating knowledge of human inability and corruption to understand at once what Jesus was saying. He should not have shown by his expression or words that the teaching of Jesus, which has its roots in the Old Testament, regarding the absolute necessity and sovereign character of this new birth, is so very strange and surprising. Thank you, sir. Exactly. Well put. Verse 8, I think this is one of the most beautiful and wonderful and poetic verses in the entire Bible, and certainly in the New Testament. And even when I scarcely had any idea what in the world this meant, and just what a deep statement Jesus here was making, from the time I, I was a child, I absolutely loved this verse by just how simple but at the same time, how beautiful it is to the ears. It's almost like a very simple, homespun piece of, of poetry. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it is coming from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit, of the Spirit of God. Absolutely beautiful, wonderful verse. Beautiful in the mysterious reality that he's speaking of here. I've always loved this statement. By the way, have you ever wondered, by the providential hand of God, we don't know exactly where they were having this conversation. It could have been indoors, and as I told you before, it could very well have been outdoors, near a campfire underneath the stars, wherever Nicodemus was able to finally track Jesus down that night. Have you ever wondered if at this point in the conversation, all of a sudden the wind blew up, and then just as suddenly died back down. And Jesus says, ah, there it is, Nicodemus. It's just like this. It's just like that. Let me use nature, which you experience and encounter every day, to make this deep and mysterious truth from the Word of God clear to you. And Jesus, therefore, is using nature itself, which we know, which we experience every day, to teach us to make the nature and character of this new birth clearer and more understandable to us. 
I know some of you have seen some of those film versions of the life of Christ. Most of them are terrible and terribly inaccurate because it just simply can't stay truth, true to the Gospels. But some of them, some of the better ones, I, if memory serves me correct, do actually portray the wind that's kicking up at this particular point in the conversation. Well, one day we'll know. Because we'll actually see and talk to the people in person who initially held this conversation, and they can tell us all about it. So Jesus makes a masterful use here of the Greek and Hebrew language in this very beautiful statement to teach this spiritual truth. As I've told you before, he makes something of what we would say is a play on words. I think one of the finest and most simplest, beautiful in its simplicity in the New Testament. So in this statement, this is important. He's making a statement about the divine sovereign nature of the new birth. This new birth is in the sovereign hands of God. And he's going to focus specifically on the work of the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, in bringing about or enacting this new birth in the soul of a human being. The Holy Spirit of God will apply the atoning work of the Son to the souls of human beings, and this new birth will take place. And it's interesting, Jesus is focusing on the Spirit and God's prophesied work from long ago in the Spirit in enacting or accomplishing or bringing about this new birth. So... In this beautiful illustration taken from nature, simple action of the breeze, of the wind, you see also Jesus is, by creating, a, let me call this an analogy, an illustration, for so it is. By creating this illustration or analogy of the wind, Jesus also is in part, he's trying to explain to Nicodemus that why Nicodemus should not be so terribly surprised about the Spirit of God's work in this new birth in a human soul. So in this poetic analogy, I'm going to call it poetic, for I think it is, Jesus makes some very important points. He's going to point out, this is very interesting, he's going to point out the things that the wind, the wind that we experience in nature every day, he's going to point out the things that the wind and God Almighty, the Holy Spirit, have in common. They both are very mysterious. They both are very powerful. They both are unseen to the human naked eye, as we say. But they most certainly cause things to happen. And so here is Jesus' wonderful use of the languages familiar to Nicodemus in Palestine in the first century. As I've told you before, I think they may be speaking in both Hebrew slash Aramaic and Koine Greek in this conversation. And Jesus absolutely makes a masterful use of the language here to teach this wonderful truth, not only to Nicodemus, but all of us. Here's the wonder of it. Folks, have you ever wondered why that the sacred scriptures were penned mostly in Hebrew, a little bit of Aramaic, and Koine Greek, the commercial language of the Roman Empire in the entire New Testament? It's because these two are two of the richest languages ever in human history. And at times, these two languages have some striking similarities, which is not at all coincidental. It's providential. The Hebrew word which Jesus may have used is ruach. R-U-A-H, ruach. And the Koine Greek word, which I believe he most certainly used or brings up in his conversation, is pneuma. P-N-E-U-M-A. 
the debate is the Greeks may have actually pronounced the P, pneuma. We don't. We pronounce it pneuma. This, of course, is the word by which we get pneumonia, meaning a problem with your wind or a problem with your breath. But the wonderful thing about these languages is the words that Jesus is using is both ruach in the Hebrew and pneuma in Koine Greek, they both can mean the same thing. They both of these words can mean breath or wind or spirit. And Jesus will make use of one of these words, possibly both, but most certainly I think he will use the word pneuma in using this word to mean both wind and spirit. So let me demonstrate for you. He says, the pneuma or the ruach blows about where it wishes and you hear the sound it makes but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Ruach, the Numa, the Spirit. Capital S Spirit. The Spirit of God. And so he will use the same word for both, making this play on words as I've mentioned before. Now I should mention in the New Testament, the Greek word Numa, it usually always is translated as Spirit. And it usually always refers to the human spirit, or more likely, or more often as not, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. So Jesus is simply speaking of the work and effects of the wind being like the work and the effects of the Spirit of God in the nature and character of this new birth as it takes place. He's using this to teach us all how to understand this better. The wind works this way. So does the Spirit of God. You experience the wind this way. So it is with the Spirit of God. So the effects of the wind, so the effects of the work of the Spirit of God. Jesus makes a point that the wind cannot be controlled by human beings. The Spirit of the living God cannot be controlled by human beings. The wind appears totally independent to do and move as it wishes. Trust me, the Spirit of God is completely and totally independent, doing exactly what He wants and moving about as He wishes. No one can direct the wind but God, and no one can direct the Spirit of God because He is God. You see? The wind cannot even be seen by human beings. The Holy Spirit of God, pure Spirit, the Supreme Being, He cannot be seen by human beings, not by the naked eye, as we say. But the wind can be experienced by human beings, so it is with the Spirit of God. The presence and power and work of the Spirit of God can be experienced and perceived by human beings. We hear the sound that the moving wind makes as it moves against and through objects. If you know what to watch for and you know what to listen for, you can watch and see the Spirit of God as He makes His way against, through, and among human beings and this world as He enacts the divine plan. You see what Jesus is saying? It's beautiful. It's simplistic, but it's wonderful. We human beings can, can see what the wind does. We can see and perceive the effects of the wind. Yes, we poor pitiful human beings can see what the Spirit of God does. We can see and perceive the effects of the Spirit of God in this world and in the lives of, our, of ourselves and in the lives of other people around us. Even though the naked eye cannot see where the wind originates or where its final destination of movement will be, so it is with the, the Spirit of God. The naked human eye cannot see where he originates in eternity, outside of time and space as we know it. 
nor do we know his final destination of movement as he moves about this universe and this world as he pleases, enacting the divine plan. Edward Clink writes in his commentary, the wind is at one and the same time a part of our common experience and yet totally beyond us and seemingly entirely other, outside of what we can know and what we can do. So it is with the sovereign spirit of God, according to Jesus. D.A. Carson writes this in his commentary. I've loved this quote from this passage in his commentary for a long, long time. We hear the wind sound. We watch the swaying grass or trees. We see the clouds gently scudding by, pushed along by the wind. Sometimes we hide in fear from the worst or most powerful wind storms, and so it is with the Spirit of God. We can neither control Him nor completely understand Him, but that does not mean we cannot witness His effects and His work. Where the Spirit of God works, the effects are undeniable and unmistakable. Exactly. Thank you, Dr. Carson. Jesus is saying where the Spirit of God works, the effects are and should be undeniable and unmistakable. So it is with the work of the Spirit of God in the human soul, Jesus says. So it is with the salvation of human beings, Jesus says. Have you ever thought of this? He's saying something like this. The work of the wind on your body resembles something of the work of the Spirit of God on and in your soul. The wind does what it pleases? Oh, yes. The Spirit of God most certainly does as He pleases. The divine plan. It's all a divine plan, folks. It's His plan, not ours. And trust Him. He will execute His plan to the last dot of the last eye. The modus operandi, as the Romans in Palestine would say, the method of operation of the sovereign God, God the Holy Spirit, it is that, just sovereign. He is completely in control of it. And at times, for we sinful human beings, the work of the Spirit is almost incomprehensible to finite human beings, and yet deeply mysterious and deeply beautiful, as the language here that Jesus uses suggests. But the Holy Spirit's work in human salvation, it can be seen. It can be perceived. When the Spirit of God works in the human soul, as Dr. Carson wrote, the effects are and should be unmistakable and undeniable. This is what Jesus is saying. It's as beautiful and profound as anything that we or anyone else will ever hear. And so Jesus says, continuing, so it is with everyone, Nicodemus, who is born of the Spirit. This is the way it happens in everybody who will be a recipient of the new birth. No exceptions. Absolutely everyone. This is what it is. This is its nature and character. This is how he works. This is how it happens. So it is with everyone who is born again from above by water and the Holy Spirit of God. The work of the Spirit of God and the new birth in the human soul, applying the atoning work of the Son, applying the plan of the Father, it is powerful, Jesus says. It is beautiful. It is mysterious. It is unseen to the human eye. It is deeply, deeply mysterious. But it is an absolute and ultimate reality. And you will see its effects. You will see its results. You see, so this is with everyone born of the Spirit, Jesus says, in that this 
recipients of the new birth, the origins of this new birth is in a totally different place. It's not in this world. The origin of this new birth, this new life, this new soul, this new heart, it's out of this world. It's from another world. It's from eternity. It's from the personal dwelling place of God who dwells in this universe and outside this universe as we know it. That's where your ultimate origins is. Your new life, your spiritual life, your eternal life, your new birth, it doesn't originate here in the world. Well, it takes place in your soul as you live in this world, but its true origin, oh, it is somewhere else. Thereby, what is your ultimate destiny? Your ultimate destination. That's in another world too. That's in the kingdom of God that Nicodemus is just killing himself all of his life thinking he can work his way into it. Our destination of final destiny as well as our second birth is in what? The unseen God who moves about as the wind in that mysterious and beautiful way doing exactly as he planned as he chooses. You see both this mysteriousness, the beauty the undeniable power of the work of the Spirit of God, it was promised, it was prophesied, it was on display in the Scriptures all along. Those Scriptures to which Nicodemus claimed to have devoted so many years of his life in studying, yes, Nicodemus, you should have known. And you should have been teaching the people to be watching for this and expecting for this when the Messiah arrives. And now Messiah is come. What a magnificent lesson this is proving to be for this man. For this man, Nicodemus. And for anyone else hearing this message who dared to live in the erroneous, pompous belief that a person could and should save themselves by obeying simply a tedious litany of their own man-made rules and regulations. You see, Nicodemus and all of us, Nicodemus and anyone and everyone who hears and reads this gospel, Nicodemus and anyone and everyone who is confronted by these words of he who is the word made flesh. We are all being confronted with ultimate and absolute spiritual realities here in this conversation. In the work and the plan of the one true living God who is for all of us in the end absolute and ultimate reality. And that absolute and ultimate reality will not be denied. Listen carefully. I'm putting this together for you and for you folks. This is how it happens. Only by the decree and will of God the Father, with the accomplished atoning work of the Son, the Word made flesh, with the cleansing, life-giving work of the Spirit, applying the work of the Son, only this is able to provide new spiritual birth in the human soul. This and this only. Let me repeat it again. Only the decree and will of the Father by the accomplished atoning work of the Son with the cleansing life-giving work of the Spirit applying the atoning work of the Son is able to provide new spiritual birth in the human soul. By his masterful use of the language Jesus is forcefully yes. He is forcefully and authoritatively explaining the beautiful and mysterious power and work of God the Holy Spirit. The person born of the Spirit according to Jesus. Are you realizing this by now? And I think Nicodemus is starting to realize this by now. 
The one born of the Spirit, according to the Lord Jesus, is nothing less, certainly nothing more or less, than a new creation, as the apostles will be able to tell us in the remainder of the New Testament. That's what you are if you are born again or born anew by water in the Spirit of God, born again from above. You are, uh, it's supernatural. It's the supernatural power of God. It's a new creation of God, as the Apostle Paul would call it. It's a new humanity. You're a new type of human being altogether. Only a new type of human being and only a new type of humanity altogether will enter and inhabit the kingdom of God, according to Jesus. This is the true nature. This is the true nature of the new birth that Jesus is speaking about, that He demands and that He has come to offer. Are you feeling a bit overwhelmed by now? Don't be. I hope I've explained it to you clearly, I pray God, in some humble fashion. Think on these things. Meditate on these things. Pray upon these things. It will come the clearer to you. And so at this point in the conversation, we almost have to ask, however in the world will this man Nicodemus respond now? What in the world is he going to have to say for himself now? For that matter, wherever in the world will Jesus take him and us next in this conversation? Well, to those things, we will return next Lord's Day. These things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Word made flesh, and that by believing you may have this work of the Spirit of God in your soul, and by believing you may have life in the kingdom, in His name. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, thank You for this wonderful conversation, one of the most important in history. And thank You for bringing us to this conversation to hear its truth, to study its truth, to meditate upon its truth, and apply its truth to our life. Thank you for sending your Spirit to open the spiritual eyes and ears of flawed human beings like ourselves, that we may receive the truth, appropriate it, and receive this new birth, this new life, become a whole new human being, all the way about. And thank you for the purifying work of the Spirit throughout the remainder of our life, and our journey this side of eternity to clean us up and prepare us and make us fit and proper to one day be completed and to enter and to see the kingdom of God once and for all and forever. Thank you for bringing us to this table as we habitually do every month. We trust obeying your divine command to come to this table to commemorate the accomplished atoning work of the Son to enable the Spirit of God to apply His work to our soul and grant us new life. Please, Lord, may these wonderful and ultimate realities rest well in the minds and hearts of everyone who has heard this exposition of Scripture today. And may these words burn bright in the minds and hearts of all of those who will shortly partake of your table. In Jesus' holy and most precious name we pray. Amen.